Hello everybody, this is a Discord conversation. I'm Job and today my guest is Cassidy P. Cassidy, let's sit down and talk and I'll ask you the question I almost ask everybody else. Sorry, Matthias, I didn't ask you. Uh, what <laughs> brought you to the Discord? What brought me to the Discord? Um, well, I was a little hesitant to get on the Discord. Um, I think the first time I got introduced to it, uh, was actually, I think you sent me an email with it after we had our group conversation with Paul and was like, here, join the Discord or whatever. And I, I downloaded it and it was very confusing to me. <laughs> and I was like, what is going on here? I don't have time to deal with this. So I just left it alone for probably a month. And phone calls and um, I've been a little hooked ever since. The connection dropped a little bit out there, but um, you said you found it confusing at first. Uh-huh. And then the connection dropped. Yeah, I found it confusing. At, uh, oh, is it still dropping? No, no, it's good now. Okay, yeah, I found it confusing at first, but eventually after I, I had a little bit of free time, explored it a little bit and got uh, on some of the voice conversations and found them super helpful and super interesting. And so I've been sort of jumping in whenever I can on those. Is it still dropping out? Uh, it, it seems to have become unstable. This almost never happens. Here, I can just switch to my phone. Usually that's a little bit better. Is that okay? Uh, yeah. And, you know, uh, I think we can just keep going and see where it goes. I can hear you fine right now. Okay. Here, let me grab my uh, my headphones for my phone, and I'll switch from there. <sighs> yeah, I have one of those. Uh, I wish I could just switch my headphones real quick, but I have one of those iPhones with the weird plug-in and no headphone jack, so it's um, annoying. Well, we get to talk to people all over the world for basically very little cost, so I'll take what I can, can get. Can you hear me? Can oh yeah, this is way different. Okay. <laughs> Let me just make sure I'm ended here. Okay, that should be better. I, I usually get better sound. I don't know, for some reason, it just hit or miss on my computer, so. Hmm. Well, uh, okay. So, let's see. Um, you've, yeah, uh, now I've lost my train of thought. Um, should I start again on why I came to the Discord? <laughs> start from the beginning. <laughs> yeah, I can. Uh, I can cut out all the technical details. So you know, <laughs> let's. Uh, I'll I'll do, I'll do one of those little harp time time noises. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Um, no, but yeah. So, go ahead. Oh yeah. So basically, uh, you sent me an email after our conversation with Paul about the lobster con about the discord you guys were talking about the discord on there and I just pretended like I knew what you were talking about I had no idea and um downloaded the app and was just very confused by what it was so I didn't I didn't touch it for a long time and then I slowly sort of started jumping into um the online conversations just the open chat mm -hmm. rooms and uh, got really interested in what everybody was talking about and um, enjoyed all of the conversations um, a lot and just found them really helpful. So I've been trying to jump into as many conversations as I can um, with my busy schedule. So it's there's a lot of like times where I'm on more and then just big seasons where I, I'm not on at all. So <laughs> it's a little hit or miss. Probably a good thing, though. I mean, this thing is such a time sink, but it's lovely. <laughs> is there is there yeah, anything? I'm... I was just gonna say there's worse there's worse ways to suck my time than having interesting conversations. So while it is a time suck, I find it uh, very helpful a lot of the time. Yeah, the the conversations are just there's so much going on, and I wanted to ask you if there's anything in particular that you found memorable. Um. Well, the, the first time I jumped on the uh, the Discord, I was able to jump into several different conversations that day. And it, the first one I jumped in was about, you know, education and 
that the place for higher education, which is a topic that I'm very interested in and have thought about uh, making a film about. So that was really cool to sit and talk about that. And then um, later that day, I jumped in again and uh, started talking about uh, some very personal things. I I don't know if they want to be out for um, everybody, but somebody was Mm -hmm. talking about something very personal. Um, And just since it's recording, I I don't want to bring up the exact topic, but I found it very um, powerful. Mm. And it was, um, it was a very interesting, humbling moment, um, just to see a group of people uh, come around and and try to support people in the way that they can. And um, you don't always see that on the internet. So I think that really hooked me. And ever since I've been able to, you know, make connections and uh, recognize some of the, the repeat listeners and uh, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. I do recall that particular conversation uh, without going into detail that that was something quite harrowing and beautiful at the same time, but it also kind of showed that uh, dare I call it the spirit of finesse that we find in Paul's YouTube comments. Most of the time that sort of, good community feeling where people try to help each other out. There's a, there's sort of honesty in there. Cassie, did I lose you? Yeah, I think, I think I lost you a little bit. Oh, well, I'm sure it wasn't important. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, so you're saying you wanted to make a movie about higher education? Yeah, I um, I have some interesting thoughts about uh, the higher education system in uh, the U.S., whether it's college or trade schools or community college. And um, I definitely think that there's a need to rethink the way that we see those things, especially in middle-class America. And uh, somewhere down the line, I'd like to try to tackle it and open up the conversation about how we view certain levels of education is the return on investment worth it anymore for for higher education and um how we can prioritize education and learning without necessarily having to go so much in debt for for a college degree that sometimes doesn't really prepare you for the fields that it is it says it does so um I think it's a really complicated issue and um, I I have a passion for kind of uncovering that. So, yeah, I, I want, how, what would your plan for that be? How would you tackle such a thing? Um, yeah, it's, that's a good question. I mean, I'm still trying to figure that out. So that's why I don't want to jump in it too quickly, but I've thought about the idea of highlighting um, different, different sort of alternative education, uh, paths, I guess. I have some friends who teach at community college and, um, I love to kind of highlight that and that perspective. Um, the, the reason I sort of got interested in it is I went to community college when I, when I started and I went there because in high school, I didn't try very hard at school and I didn't really care about learning. And so, I didn't want to take the SAT because I thought I was going to fail. And mm. so I was just like, I'm going to go to community college. It'll be fine. Like, I don't even have the grades to, like, get into university. I probably could have gotten into ASU because everybody gets into ASU. But um, I just didn't want to do it. And so I'm, like, I'm just going to go to community college. And sort of the schools that I was in and the household I grew up in, well, not my parents specifically, but sort of um, just the – the demographic of people that went to the school that I went, I grew up in community college was sort of seen as loser college. The thing that you go to when you can't finish high school or you drop out. So it wasn't, it wasn't seen as very high status, but I went anyways and it was the best decision I ever made. It helped me really understand that I like college. I like to learn, helped me understand what I wanted to make as a career path it gave me that time to do it and um gave me the the time to be able to afford uh actual university and traveling um and 
the classes were smaller than most university classes and the teachers were actually really eager to teach because they're not there doing all this research. So the the quality of the classes, at least at my community college, were some of them were better than the ones that I had at university. And um, it's crazy to me that it has this stigma to it. And so um, that that's one big reason I kind of want to talk about it. But I also want to talk about trade schools or different or different paths for certain careers that you don't really need a college education to be successful in and that, you know, you can learn how to do things without necessarily going to college, where I think too often middle-class Americans are told the only path is to go to college any way you can and, you know, get a degree and then you'll, you'll be successful. But that's just not true anymore. And a lot of people are going into really, really big debt and not even thinking about that. Um, so I don't know. I just like to explore that. And I've met a lot of people who have um, been able to make careers going about college in, in different ways um, or, or not going to college at all. I met this guy in Portland and we had this conversation and he was saying that he has a job position that would generally require a master's degree, but because he worked really hard and put his head down and, and learned and built within a company, he now holds that position without going to college at all. And um, I think that's kind of cool. And he, I mean, he obviously is in a better position because he doesn't have all of this debt that he has to pay for a master's degree. He mm -hmm. was able to earn while he learned. And so that's kind of uh, a cool perspective. So I, I don't know exactly how I would do it. It's sort of just a little tiny idea that I want to make bigger. Um, but I have some time to kind of figure that out. Yeah. No, it, it sounds like a very interesting project. And... Uh, I mean, I can imagine that, for instance, in the U.S., that trade school would have a, a similar stigma. Yeah, it does. Um, and I think, yeah, because you're always talking about free college and free education. Um, and nobody's saying, like, what about all of these open jobs? Um, the guy who does dirty jobs, um, what's his name? Uh, I forget his name. But he... Uh, He's really big about saying like, hey, there's all of these technical jobs that are open to Americans, but nobody's valuing them. And like, you know, trying to get rid of that stigma of just because you, you work in plumbing or electrician, like you can make a really good living and you don't have to go into as much debt as you would to get an engineering degree. And um, yeah, I think too many times there is that stigma of like, oh, I just went to a trade school where, you know, like just because you get a college degree does not mean it does not mean that you're better than someone or smarter than someone. There's, it just means you're really good at <laughs> getting through red tape. That's all I see college as at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I've heard similar things in the Netherlands, like they're trying to get people, young people to become plumbers, welders, you know, good tradespeople, And, they say, we just can't find them. Kids just want to go to college and uni and they want to work with computers and they don't want to work in a trade. And it's kind of sad. Yeah. Well, the, the problem with the way that we do education in the States or, or one of the problems, I'm sure there's a lot, you can get student loans for any degree you want to get. It doesn't matter what it is. And a lot of times the degrees that people are getting aren't necessarily going to guarantee you a job that will be able to, like, the, the return on investment is not necessarily going to be as powerful. So say you go into debt for an engineering degree, you probably have a good shot of repaying that and, and not, you know, getting buried in debt. But say you get something like a history degree or gender and women's studies, there's not a lot of money in that. And really you kind of have to get a master's or a doctorate and teach mm. to make that worth it. And that's even more debt and it creates this really horrible cycle. And a lot of kids get stuck in just crazy amounts of student loans with very high interest rates and uh, not a lot of power to um, pay those back. So it becomes a little tricky um, and, and there's no other 
type of loan that has zero checks on whether you can actually pay that back. If you can't, if a, if a bank doesn't think you can pay your house loan, they're not going to give you a house loan, but you can get a student loan at 18, like snap of your fingers, doesn't matter what you're going for. And that's a, a pretty dangerous thing. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, that that is. I mean, I, as far as I recall the situation in the Netherlands, and I don't know if this is still the case, but at least until a few years ago, you could get a student loan, but capped to the maximum. And um, if you graduate, the state pays for it. And if you don't, then you have to pay okay. for it. So then there's this incentive. <laughs> You'd better study, boy. Cause <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm. there's definitely some interesting... I, I've heard a little bit about, um, like, Australia. They have an interesting student loan process. I didn't dig too deeply about what it is. but um, And I don't want to say the wrong thing, but there's something about you know, having to earn a certain amount before you really start having to pay that back or, or something. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of interesting ways to help people get education. And I think that's a good thing that we want to help and value education. Um, it just, it just gets pretty impractical when you do end up with all of this debt with people who can't pay it back because the jobs that they're going for just, you know, don't, don't give them the return. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're you're going into social work, you're you have to get at least three four year degree, and it helps a lot more if you have a master's degree. But there, you're not making more than fifty thousand a year. Like it's not a high paying job, and when you have such high amount of debt, it really gets you tied to um, payments for a long time. And um, I've heard a lot of my friends kind of looking when they graduated college, looking at what they owed and just breaking down in tears because they had no idea that's what they were signing up for. And yeah, if we can help people avoid that going forward, I think that's really important. <laughs> yeah. It, it, I, I, although I don't see, do you think it could change? Um, yeah, I think it could change. And I think it's going to change because I think as tuition continues to just grow exponentially, people, some businesses are going to say, why am I waiting around and hiring these people when someone can do this job? I think eventually there'll be a switch and people will just stop going to college because they they really can't afford it. And then more businesses will be open to hiring people who don't have college degrees. I don't know how soon that will happen. I, I'm not saying it's like tomorrow <laughs> we're going to have mm. the whole change, but I think eventually down the line, if it continues going the way that it's going, there's going to be a breaking point because the cost of what college is versus the return that you're going to get out of it is just not going to be worth it. And I think if we can educate people and help them think differently about that, um, it, it could sort of break sooner, but it's always it's always hard and tricky with those things. Um, I mean, especially with the way we can get information now, we've never had so much free information in our life. Um, Because before you used to have to pay to get your, your information. Like you would have encyclopedia salesmen who'd come around because otherwise you wouldn't have information. But now with the internet, it's right at our fingertips and anybody can learn anything if they try hard enough. Um, Now there's definitely benefits to being taught by professionals um, but I think for most things that require a college degree, you don't really need a college degree. You can learn, you learn most of what you do on the job. Um, there is just, I don't know, it's just sort of that stigma and that standard that we've decided we need. But I think you're starting to see a little bit of a shift. Mm. Um, and if it continues going the way it does, I could see a really big shift in the way that we, we see higher education and, and the necessity of it. Here's hoping. <laughs> no, but I mean, I, I get what you're saying. Like from personal experience, I, I work in software. I think I wrote my first computer program when I was about eight on a machine that didn't have any mem- uh, any uh, storage memory, like 32 kilobytes of random access memory. That's I, amazing. I, well, I mean, I, I just taught myself, and 
even even if I don't have a diploma because I did basic trade school, uh, it doesn't matter because my knowledge is is up to date because any degree I would have had would be so far out of date regarding how software is being written since it changes changes so fast that technology, IT, is one of those few things where a degree isn't necessary. I mean, it helps. It shows you can be taught. That's basically it. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it's just so funny because I think sometimes there is this higher status of like, I have a college degree that makes me smart. Like some of the smartest people that I know don't have a college degree at all. They work in restaurants or, or you know, real estate investors, different things. And this idea that, I mean, this idea that a piece of paper gives that value or that identity is so ingrained, especially yeah. in middle-class America that I, it bothers me to my core. And like, there, it's so funny because I, I remember because I went to community college and my, my sister went to ASU, my older sister, and one of her friends had said before, I'm so surprised that like anybody from your family would go to community college. I mean, I just feel like they're too smart. Oh. And I was just so livid about it. It's like, what do you think? What are you saying right now? Just because somebody goes to, you know, I think a lot of people who go to community college are actually smarter than these people who just go to university, who don't know what they want to do and are getting crazy loans. They don't have scholarships. It's like, you know, it's just, the stigma really bothers me. And so I really like the idea of being able to change that perspective and, you know, teach people to think for themselves a little bit more and think outside of the box and say, hey, there's not just one path to success. There are plenty of ways that you can find success. And, you know, the best way to do it is to, you know, really do what resonates with you, I think, in a lot of cases. And there's a lot of truth to the fact that not everybody is suited for the university lifestyle. It just, the way that it's taught and the way that it's structured, it's not suited for everybody and that's okay. You know, there's no shame in being able to admit that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't be able to know. I mean, I have no idea what it's like. <laughs> All I can think of is these beautiful old buildings. For the universities? Yeah. Yeah, there's some really beautiful campuses. Uh, I, I've been on the Berkeley campus, and that is beautiful. Um, I also have taken a tour of the Stanford campus, and it's freaking gorgeous. Like, I get why people want to go there so bad, but also, you know, there, there's truth in the fact that there's studies that show that um, just because you have a higher brand name brand school doesn't guarantee you success in any industry there's no there's no guarantee that the more that you pay for these schools um are gonna actually give you a return that is worth what you're paying for um i i mean you could argue that there's a lot of connections in those schools but um malcolm gladwell wrote a piece like a little essay in his book david and goliath about um sort of this idea of being like a big fish in a small pond and talking about how students who end up going to smaller schools where they're sort of the top of their class generally gain more success than someone who would go to a bigger school and are ending up somewhere in the middle of, you know, intellectual levels. There's, there's something to that confidence of being able to go. But mm. you have all these people who go out of state and try to go to Harvard or Stanford and, uh, you know, end up in some ways hurting themselves <laughs> because they, they end up getting degrees at the end of the day that would make them less money than, say, uh, if you went to a smaller school. Like, more people are more likely to get degrees in science or engineering if they go to a less well-known school, maybe like a state school, versus Harvard, where generally, if they're sort of in the middle of the pack, they're more likely to switch to some arts degree or English degree, which huh. doesn't give you as good a shot of getting a job. I had no idea. It's really, really interesting. Yeah, uh, yeah. David and Goliath, uh, Malcolm Gladwell. Malcolm Gladwell has so many good books, but that one's really good and really kind of changes your perspective. Of yeah, I, I keep what? seeing his name everywhere. 
he just wrote a new book um, called Speaking with Strangers, I think. And I want to read it so bad because that's what I do so much of my time just talking to random people. And um, I, I've read everything he's ever written, minus Outliers. But I have it on my bookshelf. It's the only book I own from him, too. So <laughs> he's one of my favorites. The way he thinks is so interesting. Speaking of random people, weren't you the one who coined that term randos? That was me, yes. Because, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, refresh my memory, that was in a conversation with Paul, right? Yeah, so my first conversation with Paul, um, I had like a 20-minute conversation. I sort of shared my story, and um, he asked me how what? I found the channel. Oh, what is uh. that? That's my pager. Is your beeper? Yeah, but uh, yeah, I can't go now. Keep going. <laughs> um, so he had asked me how I found the channel, and I had told him that I had found it through my friend Christian because he did a conversation with Paul. And he, we sort of talking about that. And, um, yeah, I just said something like, yeah, the fact that you bring randos from the Internet to talk with you on your podcast, like, that's crazy to me. Like, I don't think most people would do that. And um, Paul died. He just, like, died laughing. So, and then I think Jeff heard that and took it as his own. And <laughs> now it's become a thing. <laughs> and has your opinion in that regard to, towards randos, has that changed? Like, has your under how do you view it now? Um, I don't know if it's changed. Uh, I, I think it's funny that you guys have taken it and now become this this term that sort of uh, defines the people in that community. I mean, I, I'm so weird. I'm always coming up with little, like, terms. <laughs> I, uh, I've, I've decided in my head, and I don't say it often out loud, but um, anyone who watches Paul's channel, I call them Van Clayheads. <laughs> Um, and like, I would just always say that, but then I looked up on urban dictionary, what like clayhead meant. And it was something like someone who has a hard time getting through life or has little information about getting through life. And then it sort of became even, uh, more like important to me. Cause it was like, I feel like that's what we're all doing. We don't know how to get through life and we need help. And so we just go to Paul to figure it out. <laughs> so that's what I call anyone who listens to Paul. And then, like, for me, randos are people who've had conversations with him. But I like that, you know, all of us have come together and are now doing random conversations with each other. That's been so cool to see and um, been super helpful, sort of just where I'm at in life and trying to figure out what I'm, what I'm doing, <laughs> um, sort of in this movement and just with my work and career and life so because what are you currently trying to figure out as far as your work and career goes um well i i've just in the recent years have found um a real passion for sort of this uh, open market of ideas and um coming bringing people together to have conversations about what's really important and i'm trying to figure out how I can use my skill sets and my story to help encourage that more and um, bring, just create a more amicable conversation where I think sometimes it isn't. And I, I like to see, um, especially with like the IDW and all of that movement, I see this openness and this eagerness to learn from each other. Um, and I'd like to find a way to be a part of that. Um, and, and it's what I'm trying to do with my current film that I'm working on as a piece of it. But I also have found sort of a love for evangelism and, um, you know, helping people dig and find meaning with faith and open up conversations uh, about that in a way that um, breeds understanding and not sort of division. Um, because I work in entertainment, and so I'm around a lot of people who don't like faith at all, have a lot of aversion to faith, mm. um, and or people who maybe are more aggressive but have questions. And um, it's been cool to just be around that and 
see how that's opened up a lot of conversations about faith. And I've learned a lot from other people and, um, you know, been able to see how my story has impacted other people. And I want to keep doing that. Um, but I want to find a way to make it sustainable and, um, yeah, just sort of make it a bigger part of what I do. But, um, I, I'm not sure exactly how I'm going to do that yet. And I'm trying to figure that out because I think with filmmaking, that could be a really great platform, but I'm, uh, I'm sort of in the middle of trying to write a book right now. And also I've thought about, I've thought about the idea of, um, doing a podcast as well, but I'm sort of in this messy transition of life right now where it's like, okay, I know that I have to finish the film that I'm doing now. And I have all of these ideas and I'm a pretty driven person and sort of like that long-term vision kind of person where I have all of these ideas of, okay, these big grand ideas of what I could do. Um, But trying to like take it a moment at a time and a step at a time and kind of plan and do it in the right timing. Um, So yeah, it's, uh, I don't know if that answers your question. Uh, I'm, I'm very impressed by, uh, you know, you're trying to, to do all these things uh, I mean, so you're trying to write a book. Is the book related to the other things that you are doing? Um, it's not really related to my my film right now. Um, so the book that I'm working on is sort of, uh, I'm still not exactly what it is, but um, I want to talk a little bit about my journey of, uh, I I guess it would be a faith journey, but just sort of my life journey of trying to understand what's true. And then sort of with that, write something to kind of share what I've learned about how to have conversations with people who believe different things than you do. That is about getting to truth as opposed to um, justifying our own beliefs. Um, So kind of this idea of, you know, we're all say we're looking for truth, but we have all of these ideas and they can't all be true um, because it would just be a world of contradictions. So how do we come together and have a conversation, stand for what we believe to be personally true while still in the pursuit of something that's ultimately true? And um, it's sort of what I've been trying to do for the last three years now. And so I want to write something that kind of shares my experience and sort of um kind of dissects how like the the positive things that I've seen from it and how I've learned how to do that better (laughs) um I think at the end of the day just getting it down is going to be very helpful for me to kind of unpack all of the things that I've been learning and just get it really on a page for myself um so even if nothing comes of it, it doesn't get published that will be really cool but I'd like to publish it um, mm. if it's if it's good enough and um, hopefully that could open a door to having conversations with really interesting people and um, I, I have a, a big heart for atheists because I'm around them a lot and I, I under like I went through um, I, I don't know how much you know about my story I talked a little bit on Paul's and there's so much more than <laughs> than I like it's a it's a very complicated story and so there's much more than I could fit in 20 minutes but I went through sort of a crisis of faith when I was in Australia and um, sort of had to wrestle with the idea of atheism and took it really seriously and Mm. did a really deep dive and, okay, what is atheism? What do they actually believe? Is it a valid worldview that I can stand behind? And and at the end of it, um, I obviously decided that uh, it wasn't and I'm still a Christian, but um, through that process, it really opened my eyes and made me understand oh, I get it. That's why you wouldn't believe what I couldn't do that before. And um, just through that, give me a really much deeper understanding of what it means to be human and what it means to really pursue um, the deep questions. Um, Because I think often growing up in church, you you have this, um, it's like this idea of, you know, we know what's true. And you get this sort of air of confidence that you've got the corner on capital T truth, but there's so much that you can learn from people outside of that. And there, there's so much that we, 
we don't know and that we speak with such confidence that um i don't know i think it's good for anyone whatever belief you have to test your assumptions and um i think there are very staunch uh <laughs> dogmatic people on either side of the issue um that could could open their minds a little bit and like come mm. together and and have understanding so uh I think it would be cool to try to find a way to help bridge that um, and not in a way to like um, uh, preach what I believe, although I'm having to talk about what I believe, but uh, I'm more interested in getting people to think for themselves as opposed to just being dogmatic about a certain perspective or belief. And I, I would imagine this has helped you uh, when you try to evangelize. Oh, totally. It's been super helpful because sort of how it all started, I went to uh, Melbourne and I had already sort of been outside of church for a long time. Um, not that I wasn't a Christian. I just had grown up in churches and I needed some time to figure out what it meant to be a Christian outside of a building, you know, because that's, that's what church in America is. You know, you go to church and it's a thing you do on Sunday, but that's not really what traditionally church is in a biblical sense. And so I needed some time to figure out what that meant for me and how that all worked. So I stopped going to church when I was in the Bay Area. And then when I went to Melbourne, um, I started going to church again um, just because I, you know, uh, want, thought it was a good thing and just wanted to be around community. Um, but I didn't get super involved for the first six months that I was there. I would go to church, but I, I wasn't really into a community, but I was still doing sort of the same thing that I was when I was in the Bay Area, which was talking to people outside my faith and having deep conversations um, and, uh, you know, just trying to understand people. And I, I realized sort of the, within two weeks that I lived in the Bay Area, I had someone who, <laughs> it was actually funny. Uh, he sat down, he, he did like wine stuff for the restaurant that I worked at. Mm. Um, like, uh, you know, picking wine for the restaurant and stuff. And he sat down next to me and he's like, I don't want to talk. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so we're just both sitting, eating dinner. And then eventually he starts getting into religion. And like, um, he was, I would say he's probably agnostic, but he was just talking about, oh, it's all hogwash, whatever. And then he turns to me and he goes, what do you think? And I'm just sitting there going, oh no. <laughs> and like, so I was honest and I told him, you know, what I thought. And we ended up having this really beautiful two-hour conversation about oh. religion. And um, and it, he wasn't dogmatic at all. He was, you could tell he was listening. And, you know, I learned a lot about um, the way that he thought and just, just about spirituality in general that he didn't know. And so that was sort of that catalyst for like, I think I'm going to keep doing this. Um, and I, I did. So I started doing that in Australia. And one of the first people I met was a, a friend that I worked on a film with. We were in the same group. And um, I could tell very quickly that he did not like religion. Um, I, I don't quite know why I knew it, but I, I had a feeling like, oh, this guy, he's really, really not going to like that I'm a Christian. And so in my head, I remember just going, okay, God, I'm not going to talk to him about it. I'm not going to bring it up. But if he finds out and he starts asking me questions, I promise I'll answer. Mm -hmm. um, and that's sort of what happened. Um, he found out I was a Christian and then he started kind of poking and, and asking questions. And I was like, hey, listen, you can ask me whatever you want. Um, I'm not offended. And so we got into um, some deep conversations and he was probably the most militant person I've ever met uh, as far as atheism, but he was very willing to listen and open and um you know we were able to have like a really good conversation about it um even though we would argue we would argue pretty pretty fiercely we're both pretty strong <laughs> strong individuals who like to argue mm. um but through some of those conversations i realized hey you're like the things you're saying are not wrong necessarily like you know he's talking about sort of experiential faith and it's like what what makes your faith any different than a muslim like if it's all just experience like what is that difference and i was like that's that's a good question i don't really have those answers um and, and you know you're talking about all of these other religions um, and so i at one point um asked him to do a book trade 
and he ended up giving me a Christopher Hitchens book, God is Not Great, How Religion Poisons Everything. Oh, boy. <laughs> and yeah, I remember he gave it to me and I'm just sitting in this lecture hall and I'm staring at this book and this wave of fear just washes over my whole body right. and I'm so scared to read it because I'm like this, like there could be something in here that changes like the way that I think and hmm. um, that's scary. But then in the next second, I'm like, if I'm not scared to read it, you probably should. <laughs> um so I started reading the next day and read the whole thing. And he was actually really surprised that I read the book. Um, and we got into a lot of conversations with that. And um, I wouldn't say I lost my faith. And there were moments where uh, it got low and I was willing to say, hey, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. But I wouldn't say that I lost it. Like I still believed in God. Um, but yeah, it got to a place where I, I was doing a lot of thinking and a lot of questioning. and then. Um, the Trump election happened and that's sort of the straw that broke the camel's back because, you know, they care very aggressively about politics in Australia and they're always asking Americans questions. And so you're constantly having to deal with this oh, no. whole idea and this, this circus of a, an election. And when he won, it was like, oh, wow, that's going to be awful to answer all of those questions and, you know, be interrogated about that. And, there was also this sort of feeling that, okay, hold on one second. We were told again and again that Trump was not going to win. He could never win. But he's won. So what other things am I believing without questioning them? Mm. <laughs> and so that sent me into an existential crisis. <laughs> and then there are a million other factors of kind of what went down. But eventually sort of just fell into madness and questioning everything and through that ended up um yeah really getting a hardcore information addiction and just reading and consuming and trying to figure out like trying to get all the answers to the questions and i started talking with anybody like anytime i felt like i wanted to talk to somebody i would do it and i just see where that went and learn from people. Um, and it drove me a little crazy. Uh, I actually ended up like getting so low, um, that I ended up in a mental hospital for a little while. Wow. Um, and like just like, a, like seven days or whatever, but my, or I guess nine, but, um, my, like my brain just broke. Um, and I think it was, there was a lot of factors to that, but a, a big part of it was just questioning your faith. And when you lose this sense of like, you, when you lose the confidence of what's actually true, anything can become true. And, you know, when you watch a little too much Black Mirror, uh, life can be very confusing. And, um, yeah, I just had this experience that um, I've never done drugs or LSD, but um, it was very similar to what uh, I hear from people who have done it, um, their experience on LSD. And so I was seeing colors and I had a hard time keeping track of time and um, things were just having so much meaning, like all of these things were connecting. Um, it was really weird. And I knew it was weird the whole time, but I was just like, okay, I don't know what's going on. Um, so I eventually decided to check myself into a hospital. Um, and that was a really humbling experience for me because um, it was the first time like I really had nothing but God. Um, cause I, you know, I'm consider myself smart. I'm pretty smart person. And I, I was doing all of the quote unquote right thing that you should do to help prevent mental health breakdowns. At that point, I, I wasn't drinking at all. I don't do drugs. I was exercising. I was keeping my space clean and I was doing all of these things. Um, yeah, I was still life and all of this stuff pushed me to this place where I, I couldn't do it. And the only thing that I could really hold on to was God. Um, so that was really, uh, huge for me <laughs> and really changed my perspective on a, a lot of different things. But sort of at the end of it, I had my own sort of, uh, you know, Job moment where I felt like everything that I loved and I care about was just getting stripped away. Um, I ended up 
breaking up with uh breaking off an engagement and um wow. uh you know losing my mind um and like you know not being able to to work the way that I did and it was sort of the first time where even though I tried as hard as I could I I couldn't I couldn't do it um and I think the only thing that I, I think God used that a lot. I almost say like God sort of pushed me into that madness in order to bring me out the other side with, with more clarity and with, with more confidence in him. Um, so it was uh, pretty intense, but after I sort of got out of the hospital, I took sort of this breath and I, I stayed in Australia. Um, even though everybody in my life was like, you have to come. I, I decided to stay in Australia um, and it was the best thing that I ever did because I could sit and I, I after that point started getting a lot more community not even not just inside a church but outside and um, I was able to um, just take this time where I couldn't really work because I didn't have a visa that worked that, mm. that allowed me to work um, just studying and, and listening to YouTube lectures and reading and listening to podcasts and that's that's where I find, found the Bible Project and uh, William Lane Craig and I mean even even some of these atheist thinkers like Sam Harris, uh, Christopher Hitchens, uh, Daniel Dennett, uh, all, all this you know all of this stuff and just really waded through all the arguments and just kept building building up this case and starting over. Um, and yeah, so I'm still sort of on it, but. Uh, I think through that, I, I want to be able to use that. Um, and I've already seen God use a, a, that in a lot of ways to, to help other people. But um, I, I want to use that story and use what I've learned through that to, to help create a better conversation and help people uh, not have to go <laughs> as low as I did to get an answer. <laughs> um, and, you know, just kind of highlighting the importance of community and coming together. Um, starting with ourselves before we start with other people. Yeah. Wow, Cassidy. But, um, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. That uh, I did not expect that. Yeah. Sorry, I should have mentioned from the beginning. I'm a pretty open book, and I'm a pretty straight shooter. So if you ask me a question, you you might get my whole life story and a lot more mess than uh, you thought. But uh that that's what it is <laughs> so hopefully that wasn't too much uh no i mean my the, the only question in my head is just are you okay now yeah yeah i'm good um i mean i think i'm still i i don't think i'm oh man you know i know you tell people you're in a hospital for nine days it sounds a lot worse than it was not that i wasn't a little crazy but yeah i've been a lot better um I'm not on medication or anything. The The doctors really tried to push that. But um, when I was there, I didn't feel super comfortable with it because I just didn't think I was in a place to make that decision. Um, you know, when you're when you're talking about I, I'm very careful about what I put in my body and what chemicals I allow in to change my brain chemistry in the first place. So to just blindly take something that they're telling me to take, I was very hesitant about it. And they pushed really hard. It was like, you need it. You need it. If you don't do it, you're going to relapse within a year. And I was like, I'm open to medication, but I'm not in a place right now where I feel I can make that decision um, and feel confident about it. I'm not just going <laughs> to, you know, take your word for it. And there's plenty of natural remedies that can help that sort of thing. And so the doctors pushed really hard, but I, I did research and I talked to a lot of people about who are on the medication that they wanted me to take. And I was like, what is it to help? What does it do? And I'm like, honestly, it just sort of numbs. And so I came to the decision where like, I'm always open to medication, um, but I don't want to be numb anymore. I think I spent so long before I really took my faith seriously being numb that the idea of doing that again was just not something I wanted. And um, they never diagnosed me with any disease or, or mental illness. Like they, they said that whatever I had was manic episodes. And, um, again, I'm at the point where I'm like, okay, I get what that means, but I also don't get what that means. It doesn't, you know, so I, I just decided not to, and I, I haven't been on, uh, medication for, uh, ever 
but um yeah it's been like two and a half years probably since the the hospital and I haven't had anything close to a relapse which is amazing and I think it's probably uh a god thing sure um but uh I've started to look into certain types of uh therapy after I got out of the hospital I did some mental health work um it mostly was like talk therapy or you know trying to give you um structure but I'm already a pretty structured person anyways and a lot of that was something that was help like helping very much and and in some ways it was hurting cuz it was just opening up wounds um that was just not helping me function and so it just wasn't the right time but um I've been looking into different types of therapy um uh, the one that I looked into pretty seriously is EDMR. I think that's what it's called. It's like eye direction movement something. <laughs> um, and basically it's sort of uh, this therapy. It has something to do with eye movement and diverting your eyes. Apparently you can process trauma better when you're distracted or something. So like working through those certain things. Wow. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, I... I'm definitely healthier than I've ever been. And I think there are certain things that were in my life that were um, pushing me. There, there were things in my control and out of my control that pushed me to that place. Um, and a lot of it was just uh, certain traumas that had been unearthed, I think. Um, and so in some ways, I think that was just my body trying to like heal itself and, and get back to, to some equilibrium. It, like, I, I, I don't know how to totally explain it, but um, I, I've been a lot healthier than I ever have. And uh, I, I think it is probably just pushing into my faith more and getting past there. You know, the minute I, I just grabbed onto God and wouldn't let go when I got to the point where that's all I could do. Um, it was that moment where I saw that switch and saw myself slowly regain my sanity <laughs> and, you know, um, Life is pretty messy right now, um, just with what's going on. But I look at where I was two years ago, and I look where I'm now, and I see the peace that has come through this journey and through learning how to trust God more and how to how to hear Him and hear what He's saying. So it's been a, a messy, <laughs> very difficult journey, but um, so worth it. And I, I've seen it help so many people, so I can't I can't regret it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and uh, I've heard before people say that at that when they were in crisis, that's when you know God grabbed them and helped them through. Yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely truth to that. When I when I first came to God, I think in a real way, because I grew up in a Christian home, and I would always say that I believed in Jesus, but I don't think I knew exactly what that meant. Um, but it was after a, a car accident and it wasn't, it wasn't a huge car accident. It was just sort of a fender bender, but like I had this beater of a car that would break down every two weeks and I was just spending my life trying to fix it. Um, working a minimum wage job and just pouring all this money into this car and it just kept breaking down. And I remember now it's total that I'm sitting in the front seat of my dad's car, just bawling my eyes out, just thinking like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Like in that moment, I had this like revelation. I was like, whoa, as a Christian, I say that there's nothing I can do to fix a situation and that God is in control, but I'm not living that way. And so I wasn't living this like crazy rebellious life. I was actually a pretty good person by most people's accounts, but I was just trying to do all of this on my own strength. And that's not what I knew Christianity to be. So it was kind of this crossroads. It was like, you can keep doing what you're doing and not find fulfillment. You could go down and do whatever you wanted, but I, I had seen so many people do that with no fulfillment in the long term that I was like, that's not really an option for me. Like, that just seems like it's going to lead to more pain than what I'm doing now. Maybe I just run towards this God thing and see if it changes. Um, and it did. Like, when I took it seriously and started living the way that I claimed, it changed my life exponentially. And that was a really beautiful thing. Um, 
But I, I think the scary part was when I started to question some of the things that I believed, I realized I am believing a lot of this experientially. It's not that I don't have some evidence to back that up, but you know, just because I believe something to be true doesn't mean that it's ultimately true. And so having to face that and say, just because I want this Christianity thing to be true and just because it's given me benefits doesn't make it true. Um, and like, that was the scary thing. Cause if, if Christianity wasn't true, it didn't really change the way I saw the world. Um, it just changed the hope that I had in it. Um, so I think that too kind of <laughs> pushed me into more crisis, but, um, I was not a person who didn't want it to be true. I, I very much wanted it to be true, but I needed, I needed to face that head on and realize, you know, if there is truth to this, it should be reflected in the world um, and sort of had to go through and look at all of these different aspects of the way the world is, um, not only including sort of evidence in a traditional apologetic sense um, for any religion, but also an experiential sense of, you know, what are other people experiencing and how can we use that to help us understand what's true too, um, which is a big reason I'm super, I love hearing people's stories and um, people being vulnerable and willing to share their stories, even if it <laughs> doesn't always sound so neat and tidy, because <laughs> I think that's where we learn the most about people and realize, oh, I'm not alone. Um, there's, there's a lot more people experiencing these things um, than we think. And that's what was so refreshing about Paul's channel, where it's all these people from different perspectives with these different ideas coming and just being brutally honest and vulnerable um, for the, like the whole world to see. Um, and I, I find that um, incredibly refreshing and super needed. Yeah. No, I, I can't agree more. It's, it's the reason I do these conversations. And uh, although that kind of just sort of happened, uh, that was weird, but it, I really <laughs> love doing them now. And I actually, um, today with my pastor, we uh, started, uh, we made a proposal for the church council where we're setting up a uh, outer court ministry. And that's just going to start by having conversations like this with church members. And then we publish them somewhere and, just to show what what sort of people go to our church, and we'll see if that goes anywhere. Yeah. No, I think it's so so good, and I mean, I grew up in um, I grew up in a church that was sort of middle class America, and it was very um, sort of whitewashed church of people come and you have your perfect looking little family, and then you leave on Sundays. And no one really knows what's really going on. Right. And um, there's so many people just struggling and in pain um, and nobody wants to talk about it or share it. And um, it's just doing a disservice to the church. And um, there's also a lot of, I think people, especially my age and sort of in the millennial generation who are so scared to ever question or look into someone else's belief because they're afraid just like I was that they're going to find out something that changes what they believe. And that's a scary thing. And so, um, there's a lot of people who have just been told what to believe, um, and never taught how to find the why themselves. And that's never going to create a strong foundation for a church in general or any, any belief system. Um, and so, I guess for me, I sort of had to learn how to come why um, by myself, <laughs> just kind of tackling it. And I, very self motivated person and a very. Um, I've noticed. Yeah, yes. Um, a very, uh, very driven person. So when it came to the question, it didn't matter what anybody else said. I was going to find out what I believed. And like, I didn't care. So if that meant, because in a lot of ways, if I had become an atheist, my parents wouldn't disown me, but they're not going to be very happy about that. <laughs> it would cause a lot of, a lot of un, <laughs> unneeded uh, drama in the household. And um, I, was, I wasn't, when I was first going through it, I wasn't engaged at the time, but, you know, I knew that that was something we were looking at. And I knew, like, 
becoming an atheist means that I will have to end my relationship, um, which is the last thing I wanted to do. Um, now I ended up losing it anyways, which um, was a, a sort of blessing in disguise. Um, but I kind of had to face that and go, okay, that's what's on the line. Uh, are you going to search for the truth or not? And I was just like, well, like, I have to search for the truth because that's really the only thing that matters, <laughs> or, you know. And so kind of went on that journey from there, being willing to risk all of it to, like, mm. get to what I thought was true. And so. Um, and by that you found it, God. Yeah. And I think I had already found him, but, like, I just reassured myself and made sure that, you know, what I was believing was true. Um, because. There is truth that there's all these different religions, and they all claim to be true. And while there's a lot of similarities within them, there's also very distinct differences. And you have to really wrestle with those differences um, to be able to understand which one is more true than another. Um, and like I, I plan to spend the rest of my life doing that, um, although I do feel pretty confident in Christianity and I feel like at this point it would be really hard for me to be convinced that it's not true but what I do know is there's a lot of things that I think about Christianity and the way that I view God that I'm very mm -hmm. confident are wrong <laughs> and so I, I plan to spend the rest of my life trying to learn that and find my my idea of who God is to reflect the truest version of God as I can. Um, and I know I'll always be a little bit flawed because I'm a human being and like, I, I can't know everything about God and I could understand and know everything about God. I'd be a God myself. And um, I don't think that's possible. So um, yeah, I just, I think, I think that's the best that we can do. And, you know, if we get sort of as human beings value the pursuit of truth above everything else, I think it helps us all to kind of move forward in a more productive way. Because for many people, I, I know that it's not that, that, like, say that they're atheists. It's not just that they're denying some truth. They really believe that's true. And, of course, there's, there's a possibility that they are true, like, that that, that is true. Um, now... I have a hard time believing that just from my experience, but I, I have enough rationality to say, oh, of course that's possible. Um, but I, I can't, before I sort of went through this journey, I would say, oh, atheists, they're idiots and have no idea what they actually stood for. Or, oh, Mormons, they're crazy. I didn't know what Mormons believed. That's just what I was told. Oh, Mormons are crazy. Don't listen to them. Okay, mm -hmm. great. And you just disregard everybody. Um, and that's not fair because, you know, as a Christian, I believe some crazy things <laughs> <laughs> and I'm willing to stand up and say that I believe them. And I, I'm willing to say when I don't understand something about Christianity, um, but, you know, that that's that's part of it. And life is crazy. And so um, now instead of just, you know, disengaging and just not talking about it, I'll engage in a genuine way and try to understand. I mean, I still, I still have conversations with like Mormons and you know atheists, agnostics, whoever whoever will talk to me. I'm willing to listen to conversations, and that goes differently depending on the situation. I think that just probably depends on you know, you know the finesse of it all. But um, yeah, anytime a Mormon comes to my door, they can come right on in, <laughs> all right. and we we have a good long conversation. Um, and, Something about loving uh, your neighbor. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think there's so many people who just run away from them. So the first time I had a conversation with Mormons, it was sort of when I was in Australia and I was going through this, um, like, you know, questioning where I'm learning about all these religions. And I see, I get, I'm getting out of a church service, I see these Mormons walking up to their apartment. And I chased them down and was like, hey, you guys Mormons? Like, yeah. It's like, you want to tell me what you And they were so confused. Because I don't think anyone's ever chased a mormon down and they're like um yeah let me get your number so i gave them my number and i ended up um meeting with them like for a couple months just going to their temple every 
two weeks or so and just having conversations and really trying to understand what they believed, um, they were very confused. I could tell they were just like, what? People don't do that, you know? And so since then, I've I've just had a lot of moments, you know, um, whether, you know, seeing temples and going in and having conversations or um, literally a couple Mormons showed up at my door the other day and we had a really interesting conversation. Yeah, it's just been cool to see, you know, God use that. And, you know, like I, I definitely think that there are some big flaws in, in Mormonism, but I can understand why, you know, there, why some people would find it convincing, especially if you grew up in it. Right. And, you know, it's, and I mean, like, I understand why people are atheists. I do. I can see that and understand yeah, it. I, now, I'm not going to go into that because we're already over time and I keep trying to find the point where I can <laughs> pop in. Oh, sorry. I know. No. I'm a, I'm a talker. Sorry. <laughs> it's, it's fine. Uh, we, we can always talk again. Uh, I, I just, yeah, I loved hearing all the things you're doing and, uh, yeah. And again, I was very surprised by, by the sudden twist of checking yourself into a, a hospital. I'm glad you're doing well. And, and I really like listening to your story. Thank you. Yeah. I, I think most people would not, especially, you know, me now or and before would not have expected that, um, for me. Um, and that's why I'm trying to be more open about it and be more willing to accept it because it is a part of my story. It's not something I'm ashamed of. It, you know, in fact, it, it's a, a really big turning point for me. And so um, I think there is a lot of stigma against it. Um, and I, I sometimes still worry about the stigma. It's like, oh, man, who's going to use that to discredit me someday? But, um, you know, I can't worry about that. And I know that good having it out in the open and it being a private matter so mm. I'm, I'm happy to have it out on the table <laughs> all right well i'm gonna uh, stop recording now cassidy again okay thank you so much and i'm sure we'll talk again yeah no thank you this was a lot of fun mm. bye-bye bye